The drive-through is GTM's monthly news episode and is sponsored in part by organizations like hpdejunkie.com, Hooked on Driving, AmericanMuscle.com, CollectorCarGuide.net, Project Motoring, Garage Style Magazine, and many others. If you are interested in becoming a sponsor of the drive-through, look no further than www.gtmotorsports.org. Click About and then Advertising. Thank you again to everyone that supports Grand Touring Motorsports, our podcast, Break Fix, and all the other services we provide. All right. If you guys are ready, here we go. Welcome to Drive Through episode number 23. This is our monthly recap where we put together a menu of automotive, motorsport, and random car adjacent news. Now let's pull up to window number one for some automotive news. Except we're not talking automotive news. We're starting with motorsports news. Right, Eric? That's right, because June is like the holy grail of motorsports months. To quote the announcers from Le Mans about two laps in after the yellows dropped, it is time for maximum vitesse. And that's what we're going to be talking about this month because Le Mans happened in June, along with a lot of other racing. Unlike last month where people thought summer was already over, we're in the middle of some of the longest racing days of the year where we have the most daylight. So this is absolutely fantastic. So we are going to kick off this month by talking about Le Mans, the 90th running of Le Mans and the 99th anniversary of the first running of Le Mans. Next year's a little bit more special, but I just want to put those facts out there for people. Just the facts. Just the facts. <laughs> but some interesting things about this year's Le Mans. It wasn't the most exciting race in the world, but there were a couple of things that were different for the last few years that I have gotten very little sleep over two days. There was no rain. It's been a first in years that it hasn't rained even overnight. So it was a completely dry race this year. It felt like there was a lot less yellows or quote unquote slow zones in this year compared to last. Last year's race, every five minutes, there was some sort of slowdown sector crash, some sort of disaster going on. This year was pretty clean. I feel like there's a correlation between the lack of rain and the lack of slow zones. <laughs> you, you think? Maybe. Maybe. Ah. <laughs> to talk a little bit more about metrics, the fastest lap time of the race went to the second place, Toyota number seven, at three minutes in 27 seconds. Let's put that in perspective. They're going eight and a quarter, eight and a third miles in three minutes. That's hella fast. I don't care who you are. These guys are booking. Wasn't the lap times the last time it was run a little bit quicker? It seems like lap times are down across the board in many series. That's true. I've heard different speculation as to why changes in aerodynamics, parts of the track repaved, changes in tire compounds, stuff like that. You know, we don't use the same tires every year after year. So yes, you're right. They did post all the qualifying times were down. They were slower by several seconds compared to years prior, but even the race pace times were down across the board. Faster than everybody else, Toyota at the front of the pack, not as fast as last year. However, this is an exit year for Le Mans. Next year, everything changes. It is the beginning of a whole new chapter for WEC. The introduction of LMDH, which is the replacement for LMP1. And for those that have no idea what I'm talking about with regards to alphabet soup, it is the pinnacle classes in endurance racing. We're talking about the professional prototype classes. This year, we move away from P1 or LMP1 into next year, where we go to the 
full-on hybrid class. And we're going to talk about all the cars and manufacturers that are returning to Le Mans next year because of the change. This is very similar to what happened with F1. We went from the old cars last year with still with the 15-inch wheels to now, what are they running? 20-inch chariot wheels or something on, on radials? They're running 18s and it's causing a lot of porpoising. We'll talk about that in a little bit too. <laughs> they completed 380 laps, not a record. I think the record is like 424 in 24 hours. Leading up to Le Mans, there was a lot of, you know, bluff and bluster as always, and a lot of hype, and I got myself psyched up. But there was a video going around by Mr. Le Mans himself, Mr. Tom Christensen, on how you too could put down the perfect lap at Le Mans. Yeah, what would your lap time be at Le Mans in a rented Volkswagen Polo? I'm thinking 12 to 27 minutes, somewhere in that range. <laughs> <laughs> to go eight miles. It is the French countryside after all. That's very true. But what's the governor set to on this rental polo that we're talking about? <laughs> exactly. This is the last hurrah for LMP1. And 23 and 24 usher in the LMDH, also known as the GTP era. They're using some of the old monikers from nearly 30 years ago by changing the class names. A lot of us have already gotten used to LMDH, but they're already calling it GTP. I hate to say it was Toyota's race to lose, as always. For the last several years, everybody says, oh my God, you know, this and that. They were always in the shadow, so many second places, and now they're winning. There's nobody left to compete against. And this year was no different than last year, where they sacrificed a couple rebellion cars, moved them out of P2 into LMP1. And I feel the same was true of the Glickenhaus cars. They're basically LMP2 cars. And there was also an Alpine Elf which 100% looks like an LMP2 car. And they kind of moved them in to say, okay, well, we have five cars in P1, Toyota. But you could tell right from the start, they just laid waste to everybody and took off like they weren't even there. Talking about the Glickenhaus cars, I have to say, from an aesthetics perspective, it is a beautiful car. It's definitely the most striking of the LMP cars that I've seen in recent years. It really reminds me of the old 60s McLaren P4s and some of the Ferraris and stuff, the way it looks. I love that throwback nose that it has and kind of almost the long tail, like mm-hmm. a 917 or an old Ferrari. It, to your point, it stands out and it is a good looking car. But what I thought was really impressive is it's the first American designed car to make the podium since Ford in 1969. Pretty cool. The number two Glickenhaus car seemed to struggle behind a lot of the LMP2 cars for a long portion of the race until they kind of finally cleaned up in the last hour like they always do. Basically six overall for most of the race was the number 708 car. The race ended with almost no drama. It was just kind of like, okay, Toyota and the Glickenhauses and the Alpine, and then there's the rest of everybody else. They lost to Japan and they beat the French. I mean, isn't that America's way? America! We move on to LMP2, where for the first time ever, I was kind of glad that they didn't spend a lot of camera time on P1, because like I said, there's not a whole heck of a lot going on. They did devote a lot of time to P2, because for the longest time, there were a bunch of P2 cars mixed in at the front, and there was an opportunity for one of the Jota team P2 cars to actually podium. I thought it was going to go that way, especially the Alpine was so far behind, and the Glickenhaus 708 was having issues, stuff like that. 
that. I was like, oh man, a P2 taking third place overall. That's incredible. Then, you know, the Glicken class car finally found some speed there at the end in the last four hours or so, but the Jota team did end up first in class. So they still won their race overall, which was exciting. And I've never been that excited about a P2 class ever. I usually ignore it and hope that they show something else. I will say the new classing system that they kept talking about, we're used to pro and am and pro-am and those mix. Now they're talking gold, silver, bronze. I know it's been around for a while. They made it more apparent when they were talking about the different drivers. Oh, this is a bronze driver and this is a blah, blah, blah driver and the number of stints. And it got really confusing because I think even the announcers were confused about how long each driver was supposed to be in the car. You know, was it six hours? Was it four hours? Was it this? Was it that? And in that mix, you heard some names thrown out there, right? They were focusing a lot on Patrick Dempsey and those guys. And we'll talk about that in a minute too. But I heard one and I was like, wait a minute, did I hear that right? Sebastian Ogier was running in P2 this year. So for those of you that don't know why I'm so excited about it, former world rally champion, Sebastian Ogier running for the Richard Miller team along with Lilo Wadu. I will say it was exciting to watch, but their pit strategy was the wonkiest thing on the planet. With four minutes left in Lilo's stint, her average lap was 335. She pits for fuel, goes back out, was this craziness of I got to pit in again and waste another minute and a half and all this back and forth. I think they lost a lot of ground to their competitors because they messed up their whole pit strategy, especially during driver changes and the minimum amount of time to be on track. And they were trying to time their pit out time. So it would expire correctly. It was just a mess. And I felt really bad for them. I did discover that there was a subclass LMP2 Pro-Am, which is really, really confusing because most of us associate LMP2 with gentlemen drivers, but Hey, whatever. I'm sorry, I fell asleep during that entire monologue right there because as soon as you mentioned rally, I just did my, I hit the snooze button. Well, that and LMP too, right? It's like whatever. (laughs) It's the Jackie Chan cars. I mean, where were they this year? But there were some drivers ejected from even starting the race for just being absolutely terrible. And we'll talk about another one as we kind of progress through the classes here in the the play-by-play on Le Mans. So where was the action this year? The action was in both GT Pro and GT Amateur. Normally, I ignore the gentleman drivers as well, but you got the Patrick Dempsey fastbender thing going on. But in GT Pro, it was Corvette's race to lose. They lost it. If you replay that start, the Corvettes out the gate were just blazing fast. Porsche and Ferrari didn't even have a chance. The number two Corvette falls out because of transmission issues and and rear end problems and things like that. The first place Corvette, okay, cool. The race was taken away from them by some punk ass amateur LMP2 (laughs) driver, probably a, a, a copper licensed driver. Shouldn't even have been out on track. Bastard. I know. So that crushed Corvette's dreams for this year of Le Mans. Even with all the balance of power changes, I heard that there's some grandfathering in where they're not totally BOP. There's some confusion there as well. But what ended up happening was it became a two horse race between Porsche and Ferrari. And it was exciting. Lots of back and forth, lots of really intricate and strategic pit stops. It was very much like watching an old Formula One race. It's like, oh, they pit, we're going to pit too. We got to stay as close to them as possibly can. And they'd run up on each other. The announcement 
announcers kept talking about the power difference between the 911s and the 488s. The 488s are actually quicker out of the pocket than the 911 is, but the 911 is slipperier down the straightaway. So it's got a little bit more top speed, just a little bit more overall. And so it was a great back and forth to see the Ferraris and Porsches battling. But more action was going on in GT Amateur. The overall win went to one of two Aston Martins that were running in the race, which I was surprised to even see them there. Talk about Aston, but didn't Aston also win the GT Pro? They ousted Corvette in the GT Pro class a couple of years ago, too. A couple of years GTLM, ago. GTLM, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But they've been on again, off again. And the Astons are, I don't want to say they're old tech, but it's not a new car by any stretch of the imagination. The other Aston kind of surprised me. There was a familiar name, and this goes all the way back to season one of our show, where we did an episode called The Gentleman Driver, and they kept talking about Paul Dalalana. The Canadian from the Northwest AMR, Aston Martin Racing Team, Northwest Insurance Company. He's obviously behind that. And he ran six hours. Their team did really, really well. I was really surprised to still see him out there running. So that was a bit of a flash from the past. Speaking of flashes from the past, Fisichella from Formula One was running in a Ferrari. I thought that was pretty cool. Bronze level driver, right? That they classified him as. I don't don't get that. (laughs) But I think we need to focus a little bit more on the whole Dempsey Fassbender thing. That we have completely manufactured ourselves. There's probably no drama whatsoever. But as we do our best Drive to Survive Netflix drama-inducing series here, Fassbender was in a wreck. His uh, qualifying debut. Yeah, and it took him three years to get there, right? There's a whole documentary on Netflix about this. Yeah, and he wrecked in the breaking zone of one of the chicanes down the Mulsane Strait. Basically, he lost it in the strait and went straight to the wall. It almost seems like the back end of the car locked up and That's just exactly got away what from happened. him. Yeah. He's okay. He's okay. His rivalry with McDreamy, Patrick Dempsey, will have to live to fight another day. I don't <laughs> think there's any drama between them. And he crashed in qualifying, but he raced during the race. Dempsey, I can imagine, was not happy with their finish. And GTAM field was really big. If you looked at all the cars that were entered in there, tons of Ferraris, tons of Porsches, obviously the two Astons, but it was a really big field of amateur and gentleman drivers in this year's Le Mans. I was like, hey, they couldn't get enough of anybody else to you know, sign up for the race. I, I don't know. But Out of that came some really cool things like the number 85 pink Ferrari of the Iron Dames team. And if you're not familiar or not following their story, they're an all-female team. They qualified sixth in class. They ended up dropping to 23rd because of an issue with the car. And then throughout the course of the weekend, fought their way back up to sixth place and finished in sixth overall in GTAM. I mean, I got to give them a round of applause. They fought hard. They drove well. The car definitely stood out. My daughters were watching the race with me, and they were ecstatic about every time the camera went back to the pink Ferrari. And I know it's a little cliche, but it's a color that's not often used, and it was easy to find them on track, and they did really, really well. The Hardpoint Porsche team and one of its drivers had three hours and 23 minutes remaining on their stint, right? Their obligated amount of time that they have to drive during the race. And that got announced with two and a half hours left on the clock. And I was like super confused and immediately said, oh, there is a disqualification BNF, you know, waiting to happen. I don't know how they're going to work this out. So they put this gentleman, Harianto, in the car for his stint. He goes out, he makes one lap and he loops it in turn one. (laughs) 
buries the car in the gravel trap. When they pan to the garage, <laughs> I couldn't help. I busted out laughing because the looks on people's faces were like, no wonder. I guess they were keeping him out of the car. But you live and learn. You pay to drive. You're out there to have fun. But I really felt bad for the hard point Porsche team. They were destined for failure, unfortunately. It is what it is. Better luck to them next year. So there's some exciting things we got to talk about for next year, because next year, our goal is to be at Le Mans. I'm going come hell or high water, whether I'm standing there by myself or with, you know, all my closest friends. The reason next year is so important is what we started off with. Next year is the hundredth anniversary of the first running of Le Mans. 10 years from now, we get to do the hundredth anniversary of the running of Le Mans, which is different. So we'll get to do another hundredth, you know, Indy went through the same thing, but there's all sorts of new brands coming out of other series that are going to be appearing at next year's Le Mans. You're going to see the introduction of GT4 cars that are coming out of groups like SRO, where they hold the GT4 series right now globally. You're going to see brands like Mercedes, McLaren, Audi, BMW, and Ford hitting the big stage with their GT4 cars next year. Next year also brings about the GT3 class where there's new entries coming in there as well. And like we talked about LMDH, there's been some reveals Finally, not just speculation of who's coming in the P1 classes. And we'll kind of talk about that as we go along. There's some really exciting stuff coming. But since I'm going to be there, there was actually somebody who tweeted about some of the best vantage points when you're at Le Mans in person where you should be standing to watch the race. And so the announcers kind of were going back and forth about it and talking about some of the changes they've made at the track for spectators and this and that. And so here's what I pulled from it. There's three big spots that you want to watch the race from if you're interested in watching the race and not just being near the pit boxes or start finish or whatever have you. Obviously you got to make your way there at the end of the race. I don't think I want to start at start finish. I want to be somewhere else. Where do I want to be? I want to be at Tetra Rouge, which is basically turn eight where they're starting to go down the Mulsan. You can see up the hill to the Dunlop arch, you know, things like that. The other two turns that the guys recommended are Mulsan corner because you get them coming in at 200 and ungodly billion miles an hour coming into that braking zone and then taking off. And they said they actually added a viewing area at Indianapolis corner, which makes that an exciting corner to watch the race at. So those are like top tips right now that I picked up watching this year's race. So I'm going to include a track map for anybody that doesn't know what the heck I'm talking about with all my notes. You'll find me in one of those three locations throughout the 24 next year. So let me know if you're going to be there. Let's, let's get together. So are we going to talk about Lamborghini? Yes, we're going to talk about Lamborghini. A future entrant or a coming entrant into the new LMDH class that Eric was talking about earlier is Lamborghini, and they have chosen a chassis supplier. Wait, wait, they're not building their own? You know, I was just about to say, I'm surprised they're not building their own, but I guess they don't want a tractor chassis out there on track uh, while everybody <laughs> else is going in these custom high tech. But yeah, they've chosen Legier to build the chassis for their cars. So that's kind of cool. And they're going to enter them into the IMSA series in 2024. And... It was like the GTP Grand Touring Prototype class in 2023. I think you're going to see a lot of manufacturers scrambling to partner with existing chassis builders because Lamborghini doesn't have a prototype program. And Audi has been out for so long. They don't have a chassis. Porsche's reinventing theirs. But even Porsche has said that they're partnering with Multimatic 
to build their LMDH projects. So they're not even really building their own chassis either. It's like everybody needs to be at 23. So it's not just Toyota by itself. You know, nobody knows what Toyota's doing. I heard rumor they're confirmed to be there next year, whether it's with the same car or with a new one. Again, there's going to be this trend of people partnering with known chassis manufacturers, be it Dallara, be it Lola, be it Legere, you know, et cetera. Since we're talking about Volkswagens and Audis, I found out something really, really interesting this month. And it goes back to something we talked about last month. Remember how we talked about the Nissan Z was closely related to the legendary Skyline R32 through its steering wheel? You know, the three-spoke steering wheel of, of legend. I found out something really interesting that I think will delight Tanya. So, so the legendary Audi R8. Or the, the Audi R8, it's not legendary, draws one particular thing, you know, its lineage from the legendary Mark IV Beetle of 1998. I'm guessing it's a cigarette lighter. Does the R8 have a three-spoke steering wheel? It very that, well may. <laughs> oh, but this is better than the steering wheel. Would you like to take another guess as to what part ties these two incredible vehicles together through 30 years of history? The key fob. The headlight switch. Nope. It is the coolant expansion tank known as the Death Star. I was almost going to freaking say that. (laughs) (laughs) And I have pictures to prove it. The R8 uses the same Death Star that they've been using for like 30 years. (laughs) So there you have it, folks. The Japanese have their three-spoke steering wheels, and we have the Death Star. That's our common thread. And and how do you fix a E36 BMW M3? With a Volkswagen Volkswagen Death Star. (laughs) Exactly. Speaking of BMWs, they have also revealed finally their LMDH prototype. They've revealed the name and the design, and they're working with Dallara to build the chassis. And so is Cadillac, by the way. And I got to say, I don't like too many BMWs. I can count them on the fingers of one hand, but this thing's pretty cool. It's pretty good looking. The kidney grills are massive. They look like a whale shark swallowing up its food in the middle of the ocean. But yeah, it looks really cool. The name is not nearly as impressive as the hype made it out to be. The name is just like all of their naming conventions. It's like a 500 different words to, to describe one vehicle. BMW M Hybrid V8. <laughs> and so on down the line as you add more alphabet soup to that. Good on BMW. I'm glad they're coming back. I love the livery on this thing. Very reminiscent of you know all BMW motorsport cars. I want to see them kick some butt. I want somebody to dethrone Toyota and I want it to be a good fight while it happens. You know what I mean? Since we're talking about races in France, let's talk about French cars. Peugeot debuted their 9X8 at Monza. They also declared the drivers that are going to be behind the wheel of the Peugeot throughout their testing this year in preparation for next year's Le Mans. The coolest part and most significant part about the 9X8 that I didn't realize and I learned this month is that it will be the first LMDH car with no wings. And why is that important? They have been approved to go back to using ground effects, which have been banned since the 80s. So we're talking like the Sauber C9 type cars, all those ground effects cars, you know, Lotuses and whatnot from way back when. We're reintroducing that and they're going to be wingless on the Peugeots. And how do the other manufacturers feel about this? I mean, it's legal. We'll see who else goes in that step. You saw the BMW. It's got wings like a formula car everywhere. 
I mean, it's legal. Or does that mean the other manufacturers are allowed to go back and change their designs if they want to? After they've dumped years and thousands of man hours into developing it to meet a certain criteria? Well, I mean, if they're using the Chevy principle of let's see what everybody else does first, too late for them, right? If they've already submitted, this is the car. But if Peugeot's breaking the mold and it's allowed to go forward, I suspect that in 24, we're going to see a lot more aeroless cars especially if they're very successful. Exactly. That's going to be such a slippery car, but also the ground effects is going to make it stick like it's on rails in the corners. It's going to be really neat to see how it does against all these airfoiled cars. Where is WEC? Where's their headquarters? Uh, Isn't it in France? And this is the French manufacturer? Collusion! Ah, yeah, forever unclean. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Speaking of clean, with respect to clean designs, we talked a while back about the possible introduction of the Alfa Romeo version of the Fiat 124 Spider, originally referred to as the Duetto. Most of us know it as just the Alfa Spider. It was produced for an extremely long time, longer than most people realize. It has like a 30-year run on it that they made the Alfa convertible. As Tanya had mentioned, the director over at Stellantis has said, we're very excited about this, you know, in a very Italian, nondescript, non-committal way of saying that they're going to see if they can do it. And if it's worth it, they'll continue. An Italian car magazine released some pictures of the Duetto concept car. And I got to say, I think it's pretty neat. I don't fit, so I don't sit. It's got no roof. How do you not fit? You see me getting in there? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I could probably put both legs in and stand in each seat. I'm not really a fan. I don't like the front. Is it the because it doesn't really? Like. Yeah. Is it because it really doesn't have headlights? Probably. The back almost has no taillights either. Although the back kind of reminds me of the Solstice, the Opal, the Vauxhall, you know, all those that came out at the same time, like the VXR and stuff with the double hump and really angular rear end. It's just a concept. You know, the concepts never come to fruition. I've never seen one go to production the way it was presented, but I like the fact that this is out there because it means they're thinking about it, right? I mean, it and looks they're... nothing like the original, honestly, other than the fact that it has two doors and it's convertible. Like you know I don't, I don't look at it and go oh yeah that's what that's supposed to be regardless of what the original looked like i I, I don't know but as a standalone vehicle it needs pop-up headlights (laughs) yeah throwback right i mean why can't we have pop-up headlights anymore because they're not slippery i mean does it really matter i mean everybody's driving an suv how slippery are they i don't know you drive a hippopotamus (laughs) it's true i do i mean my mirrors are bigger than most people's pop-up headlights (laughs) We should probably switch gears and talk about the domestic entries into motorsport, especially for next year. And so our domestic news is brought to you in part by AmericanMuscle.com, your source for OEM replacement and performance parts for your Ford, Chevy, or Mopar vehicle. So I mentioned earlier about BMW that has partnered with Delara and so has Cadillac, and they have confirmed that they're going to have a V8 in the Cadillac along with the hybrid system. More than likely it's gonna be the Corvette's flat plane crank V8. They're gonna share that motor. I'm excited to see a LS powered something up in P1 next year or GTP. So I, I can't wait to see the Cadillac out there fighting along with everybody else. They actually do state that it is a 5.5 liter dual overhead cam V8 engine linked to a spec hybrid system. Hmm. It is confirmed. Nice. And the car itself is what the XLR should have been. Yes, I agree. Could you imagine if the if they brought the XLR out now with the mid-engine Corvette out and everything, and it looked like this, they would have people lined around the corner to buy one. 
what if they brought back the C7 and resheet metaled it and reintroduced it as the XLR? Then that's the same thing they did before. They took it just a, like a just not XLR. ugly, just not ugly. The XLR looked like the Batmobile from Batman the Animated Series. <laughs> By the way, to, to, to go on a little bit of a rant, when I was coming home from VIR, I stopped at the gas station and there was a guy in an XLR. He revved me. He hit me with the revs. He bounced off the rev limiter at me. I barely heard him because it was stock exhaust or whatever. But and I mean, it was forty five hundred RPM because it, it revs was, like a tractor. Yeah, that 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 North Star motor, ooh, big and scary. Yeah, I'm really shaking in my boots here, buddy. That's what made me think of it. But yeah, this car, really good looking. Good job, Cadillac. Did you throw the revs back at him? No, because I'm a mature adult. Liar. Sometimes. <laughs> Liar. <laughs> <laughs> I I was moving, and it's harder to do in an automatic. Well, his is an automatic too. So what do you do? Drop it in neutral. He was parked. Oh, okay. Well, that'll do. Even better. He was sitting in a parking spot facing the other direction and revved me. Good job, guy. (laughs) Well, speaking of mature things, who decided it was a good idea to see if a Ford F-150 Lightning, the new one, the EV, could charge itself? That just makes good sense. He says you can charge other EVs. Why not try and charge itself? Perpetual power. I mean, it said it worked. It said you could keep it up for 150 hours. (laughs) Yeah, it took the power out of the battery and put it into the the battery port. (laughs) Because that generator system on there is not gas powered, right? For all the tools and all that wonderful stuff they market as. It's in a loop. Circular reference. It's idiotic. You'd think they would have a fail safe for that, right? I'm wondering how much power does it take to charge another vehicle? Like just regardless of the the actual power that's being transferred from the battery, it's got to use a little bit of power to move that fuel, that electricity to the other vehicle. So eventually it would, I would think it would wind down. It would would power itself and it would use power to power itself and eventually just run out. It's like laps at NASCAR, just round and round and round and round. Well, then this fits. Is it on the left side? I can only charge on the left side. So have you guys seen this latest commercial from Chevy surrounding the Bolt EUV? Probably not. (laughs) It has this new thing called Super Cruise. I think it's more marketing BS. I I found it upsetting. Yes, I got really, really angry. More people are going to be on the road not touching their steering wheels. I guess the driver attention system or whatever the heck they called it is supposed to be monitoring you to make sure you're watching. In the same sentence, basically, the driver attention system, make sure that you're paying attention and watching the road. But also, this is the most relaxed you can get. And blah, 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 blah. So it's supposed to be like paying attention that you're paying attention so that you could assume control. So what happens if like a lot of people that doze off, they can sleep anywhere? I think it should send electric voltage through your seat when it sees your eyes closed. <laughs> you like the rumble strips on the side of the highway. When you drift, you hit them and you're to cause the vibration and noise wake you up. But instead, you don't have to drift in your lane. Your car just sees that you're falling asleep and then shocks you. So that reminds me of that movie like back in the day with John Goodman about the movie theater where they used to zap people during the horror films from the bottom of the seat. You guys remember that? It's the same thing. Let me break some people's brains on this one. So it's supposed to be looking at your eyes. You know, like you said, you fall asleep. Well, what if when I close my eyelids, I use makeup to draw eyeballs on my eyelids so it looks like... What if you're wearing sunglasses? What if this is the stupidest thing I've ever heard? Because What if you have to wear glasses? 
what if you're a driver and you're legally obligated to wear glasses? I mean, if you have Drew Carey glasses, it might not be able to see your eyes. So it doesn't think you're awake, right? I mean, it sounds like it's using a retinal scanner. So when you use a retinal scanner to get into like a secure place or whatever, do you have to take your glasses off to do it? Yes. So, yeah. <laughs> but, but it doesn't matter because you're not driving anyway. So who cares? Like, yep, I'm good. I'm just, I'm going to take my hand. Jesus, take the wheel. Super Cruise, take the wheel. I'm going to take my glasses off, put them on my head, get out my crossword puzzle, and I am good to go. So if we're not going to draw eyeballs on the back of our eyelids, what if we do the clockwork orange thing, you know, and just keep our eyes open, but we're actually asleep? <laughs> But you know, what really irritated me about this video was the whole pushing of driving hands-free. People are going to immediately associate hands-free driving with hands-free phone. In this day and age, I still don't understand people that have the phone up to their chin or their ear in a car that was built after 2008. So I don't understand how this is going to work either. But well, it's how just, is this different than autopilot? It's hands-free driving. I don't it's understand. Mar- it's marketing bullshit. Isn't that autopilot? We would be screaming about Tesla right now and their autonomous driving level 157,000. But when Chevy says hands-free driving, we just kind of move on with life. I mean, this is as much garbage as the Tesla thing, yes. period. A thousand I mean, percent. cool, unless they crack the code and can actually do it without these things like careening into a police car that's parked on the side of the road. (laughs) I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I I think it's also teaching just bad habits too, because like one of the videos, there's several of them, you know, they got the kid in the back. They're watching everything you do, right? Your kids are watching how you drive. They pick up your behaviors. They emulate what you're doing. And if you're like, hey, hands-free driving, whatever. Yeah, well, guess what? And when you're sitting there texting on your phone and snapping pictures and selfies while you're driving, they're picking up on that too. And lots of people do that. My point. And I was just like, I don't know. I think this is well, this is. And worse. here's the problem. This is the future. So what bad habits, one could argue, are they picking up? Because in 10, 15 years, when these little kids are getting their driver's license, if the technology has improved by then, that will be their car. Their car won't be a, I don't have power steering. Oh, kind of no ABS, none of this stuff. No, you have all these nannies. It's one giant freaking moving Xbox. What's to stop a kid, a teenager, even an eight-year-old? They got their eyes open getting in the car. They got, they stole mom and dad's keys and saying, take me to the ice cream store. And the car just drives them there. Nothing. Unless well, they, they'll have to put in some sort of pin number or the retinal scan, right? Well, for, for this car, they use LIDAR. They've only programmed into the LIDAR certain highways that this can be used on. And it uses the LIDAR in conjunction with the driver attention system. I want to know if it could be voice activated. So I could say, car, turn left, car, turn right. And then my GPS is talking to it. Turn left here. And it turns into a lake and then you kill everybody. Just like the office. Just like the office. I think the most entertaining part of the video was when the hands-free system recognized that you weren't paying attention. It lit up like a play school toy. I was like, what is going on here? There are lights and colors everywhere. So, I mean, it's definitely going to get your attention, but I was just like, wow. All right. Well, and see, and here, like, I don't get it. So if you have to pay attention and you have to have eyes up and you have to be looking at whatever you're doing, then why don't you freaking drive your car? Because I'm really tired. What are you doing? Because if you can't be sitting there watching Netflix on your phone because you're going to get electric shock through your chair because you can't see your eyeballs, why can't you hold on? Like, really? Anya, what you don't understand is this. 
it's too much work it's too, it's just too much okay cars today hours. can be freaking driven with your thumb and your index finger on the steering wheel it's that easy people you don't need Especially like death with- grip holding on and i gotta have arm strength to navigate the turn because i don't have power any like get out of here you losers i mean with electric power steering they're all feather light now compared to even the hydraulics were light compared to manual steering car but i mean it's so easy to drive a car now it's ridiculous it feels so numb like you're in a bumper car in an amusement park you're like is this thing even connected anymore it's like it's craziness look and you know what people i work eight hours a day from home it's a lot of work and when i want to get food i don't want my door dasher hurting himself trying to come to my house i want him to be able to use super cruise to bring me my food okay is that too much to ask <laughs> well let me let, let me let me let me rock your world here because you were talking about watching tv while you're driving i too coming back from vir this month same you know route that brad took and by mistake my phone decided to kick over and play my tv app And so I found a new cool thing to do in the car, which is listen to old sitcoms through Bluetooth where you don't have to see it. And I got to admit this because of whatever was next in the hopper, it started playing the Golden Girls. And I tell you what, those sassy old broads are really good over Bluetooth. It's amazing stuff right there. I cannot recommend it enough. Made the trip just fly by. It was Eric, great. You know why that was next up in the queue. Because Friday night, <laughs> two 40-year-old men were sitting around on a couch that we don't know who'd sat on it before us, watching Golden Girls eating spaghetti. <laughs> we were deep in conversation. It was just background noise. Yeah, that's what it I was. highly what, recommend. What episode it. did we watch? I, I highly recommend playing old sitcoms over your Bluetooth when you can't see them. They are just amazing in the car. No, no, absolutely no, not. Not old sitcoms. Playing Golden Girls <laughs> and maybe Seinfeld. Some Frasier would work well. Whatever you want to listen to. If you're from the Three's Company generation, listen to that. If you're Frasier, listen Seinfeld. Do it. I'm telling you, it will change the way you listen to radio you can just even imagine the scenes well it's it's like back in decades ago when they just had you know there wasn't tv and you your programming was the radio and they had the radio shows which is funny because fraser actually has an episode where they're doing a radio show that one's a good one (laughs) just imagine that in your car you play that episode exactly play that episode in your car it's inception (laughs) it's you're like six layers deep at that point So speaking of Inception, this next one has me confused for many reasons. Tanya, do you care to enlighten us? Maki replaces the Tesla Model 3 as Consumer Reports electric vehicle top pick, bumping the Model 3 from the annual top picks list. This was back in February when they were being made and not being recalled. I feel like we should be playing Alanis Morissette's. Isn't it ironic? Number one, number one choice on a car that's being recalled across the board and currently not available due to <laughs> chip shortages and battery problems and whatever else. You know what? You know what happened? It, it's the Madden curse. Whenever you know a football player has an excellent year, they end up on the cover of Madden. The next year, they break their Achilles or something like that. This, that's what happened. The Maki, because I refuse to call it a Mustang, the Maki has broken its Achilles this year. So wait for next that's, season. That's a DE champion curse. So we yeah. call that around here, right? <laughs> there you go. 
But, you know, I saw one on the road on this you know, road trip that we took to VIR. And I got to say, every time I see the Maki, I like it more and more and more. It's a good looking car. I saw I'm, one in a parking lot today. What'd you think? I get confused on the road sometimes where I think there's one and then it's like a RAV4 or something. I don't know. It's a it's Kia. Like, there's a Kia with the same taillights. It's something, or it's the Ford, the new Ford Escape or something like that. And I'm like, oh wait, never mind. It's not. <laughs> I mean, and when you realize you're actually looking at one, I mean, it's not horrendous, I guess. <laughs> that is a glowing compliment from Tanya. It's, it's not horrendous. If you can get one and it's been fixed post-recall, I think it's the best bang for the buck. If you look at styling, space, the dealer network, and even the price plus the range, I think it's a good value for money. It's still steep at you know 45 grand or whatever it is that we talked about in the previous episode, but I think it would be my number one choice. And I have recommended it to other people. I talked to Andrew Bank recently, who was on the show on the Viper episode a while back, and he said he wrote in one with like four other people and he goes it's super comfortable he's like it hauls butt you put it in unbridled mode which is ford's version of ludicrous mode you know they got all these horse references in the car that you can set it to but he goes it it, it boogies yeah with five people in the car and it already weighs you know four thousand pounds if not more i mean shoot what what more could you ask for if andrew can't be comfortable in a car this is not a car period because he's only like five five so <laughs> he's always comfortable in a car i want to know if you can replace the mustang on the grill the grill that's not a grill with a not a mustang because it's, it's not a mustang that's can you put a pin it's a pinto yeah can you put a, a ford escape logo or just just put a blue oval on the front who cares yeah right make it an option you can switch it out so going back to some exciting motorsports news you know who else just announced that they're going to introduce a car. We haven't even thought about them up until this point. We've mentioned Peugeot and BMW and Cadillac and Ferrari and Porsche and Toyota and all these other names for months now. But you know who else is coming to the party? Someone else who's already at the party. Acura. Acura, that's right. Honda is coming to Le Mans in 23 with their GTP car, and they have aligned themselves with the French chassis manufacturer, Oreca. Again, all these big brands are reaching to the chassis builders to say, give me a prototype I can build on top of with my power plant. Assuming from what I understand, they're going to be pulling technology out of the NSX and bringing it into their GTP car and obviously putting it on steroids. Same thing Cadillac's doing by taking the Corvette and boosting it up with the hybrid system and all that. I just have one question. Will this share a three-spoke steering wheel with the legendary <laughs> Integra? Speaking of which, we got to see the new Civic SI touring car while we were at VIR in partnership with SRO. And we interviewed James Nazarian, who is the head of products there for the touring car series at Honda Performance Development. He gave us a tour of the car and all that. We actually already posted it on the server. So if you want to catch up with that and understand more about the new Civic and how you can get into it, we bugged him about whether or not there was going to be an Integra version of the Honda touring car, maybe in the next couple of years, he was unwilling to commit an answer one way or the other, but we're going to stay on top of that. I will say seeing the new Civic in person, I was a little confused. I actually admittedly asked him at first, is this the Accord? And he looked at me sideways and I'm like, it's really big, you know, cause I'm used to even the previous 10th generation Civic was large, but mostly hatchbacks, right? So I'm used to that cutoff rear end. I'm not used to seeing this big sedan that's the size of a Passat. <laughs> So in other news, Honda, Honda, and this is 
a concept I think that we've talked about, like, duh, why aren't people doing this? It's or it's inevitable, it's going to happen. Well, remember Sony unveiled at CES the last two years or so, I think now they had their own car, their own concept the electric vision. vehicle, the vision, yada yada yada. Well, guess what, folks? Honda and Sony are teaming up joint partnership to create an electric brand vehicle. You called it. You called it. We'll give you props for that. You said it was going to happen. I I mean, mean, it's inevitable. So basically Honda is going to build the cars and Sony is going to put all the tech in the cars. Woo. (laughs) Who didn't dunk it? It's, it's, it's like when you're riding the metro in dc and you see all these lockheed martin north of grumman signs and everything as a general consumer those aren't for us sony was advertising this not to us but to the other manu- to the manufacturers yeah. saying hey buy our tech yeah exactly they built that car as a demonstration of all the things they can do and and the tech that they can bring and honda, honda stepped honda up to the it. plate i don't know how many other people tried to partner with them or not but they're in under negotiations right now so good well, for them good, it'd be interesting job, to see yeah Honda's a good car manufacturer and sony is an excellent electronics manufacturer so i'm excited to see what they come up with together i think it'll be a good partnership because i hate to say some of the hondas are pretty germane they're very much like an appliance they're kind of boring inside and no offense to honda owners just some of the ones i've had as rental cars i get in them and they do a good job for what they are, but it's not mind blowing. Like you stepped into the cockpit of an R8 and you're just like blown away. You know what I mean? I get it. It's apples and chainsaws, but with Sony coming to the table, as long as it doesn't look like a PS5 inside, it's going to be pretty cool. I mean, that's what they're good at. And it would be neat to see an interior designed by Sony. I'm I'm really curious to see what that ends up looking like. Maybe it'll end up like the preludes (laughs) where it's got the dash that goes all the way from one A pillar to the other and all sorts of lights like Knight Rider or something. Who knows? But still, I'm curious to see how it turns out. Shout out to Brian Shaw and the prelude lovers. Right. (laughs) The one and only prelude member. (laughs) Toyota has announced that they are debuting the GR Cup with the SRO Racing Series in 2023. So that's very exciting. And they will be using GR86s. It's going to be a single make uh, series. Yeah, we're going to have more details on that in coming months as we talk to more folks at SRO, especially around the debut of the 86. So look forward to that in coming weeks. But there's also something special for Tanya. Yes, it's the ultra limited edition Toyota GR Corolla Maurizio edition that's coming out, which if you're unaware, Mr. Maurizio is the pseudonym for Toyota's president, Akio Toyota. That's his like racing pseudonym name. So anyway, so it's a homage to him. And it's going to be some sort of special edition with more torque from 273 to 295. Got a close ratio manual transmission, shorter differential gears, blah, blah, blah. They shed some pounds by taking out the back seat, forged wheels, this, that, and the other. So what you're telling me is this is Toyota's GT3 911. They're like, here, here's a track ready car. We took the back seat out. So Tanya has a car that she can now take to the track and then Home Depot to load up on mulch before she goes home. 100%. I'm really waiting to see one of these in your driveway. And it's going to be somewhere north of 45,000. 45 grand for a Corolla. Wow. For a a three-cylinder. Making 300 foot-pounds of torque. I mean... This is what the Focus RS should have been. Mm -hmm. Speaking of things that should have been other things... 
We need to go back to our countdown. How many days are left, Brad? Negative 25, I think, something like that. <laughs> For the DeLorean. That's right. The Alpha 5. Wait, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. Alpha 5. What the hell is that? Don't you mean the DeLorean DMC? No, no. It's called the Alpha 5. It's the fifth concept of the new DeLorean. Wow, that's dumb. <laughs> so the one we talked about where we were saying, hey, it's really different, the previous version to this version, there was another one, that was the Alpha 4, and there was an Alpha 3, and blah, blah, blah. So it's gone through five revisions. The one that was revealed just after the last drive-through episode is called the Alpha 5. I got early access to the pictures, and I posted them right alongside of the last drive-through. So if you haven't seen them, they're out there. I'll probably post some more. I had a want-want moment. What do you mean? I, I like it, but I don't, but I do. Yeah, I'm not it, on its own by itself. I'm like, okay. But then a DeLorean, I'm like, no, no, I don't know. It should be the Alpha 2 as in the second generation of the Lucid Air. Yeah, it, it does have a lot of styling cues in that direction. That's for sure. I think what gave me the wah-wah moment, it's the gullwing doors. I know it's a signature part of the DeLorean, but they're the size of a Freightliner. It's a four-door gullwing with only two doors. Because It must be like electrically assisted because... <laughs> they're like 900 pounds a piece. They're huge. They're like three quarters of the length of the car. They sourced them from the Tesla. Do you know how many problems those things have? Terrible. What we have to reconcile ourselves to is DeLorean. Is dead. The DeLorean we knew, there was only one. It was the DeLorean, but that's like saying the Audi, as if there was only ever like one Audi. But like right. DeLorean is technically the name of the car company. We just have to wrap ourselves around the concept here that it's a DeLorean, but it's not the DeLorean. <laughs> Finally, they've made a second car in their lineup. Can we petition DeLorean to create an Alpha two and a half where we shorten it and it only has two seats? Because then I would buy one. I think that's my biggest issue with this. It is actually really a pretty car from the front angle, the rear angle. The interior looks really cool. It's when we went to a four seater, they took that design and they just literally stretched it out. It just looks wrong. That's what's killing me about it. It's like when West Coast Customs took a charger and turned it into a two-door. It's a two-door, four-seater. It's the size of a sedan that only has two doors. But it's not a Mercedes coupe where they do that, right? Where they take a four-door and they cut the roof and put two doors on and all that. These doors go from one fender arch to the other. They're just, they're enormous. Do you think this is like 52 inches tall? <laughs> Or whatever height, eight, whatever it was. 43 inches? No, it's, pro it's probably 52 inches tall. I mean, that front end, I love the three-quarter view of the car from the front. It's just shrink it. Just shrink it down. Give me a two-seater sports car, and then I'll be happy, right? Well, maybe they'll do that. Maybe they'll introduce the, the mini version of the Alpha 5 or something. But I, I think someone is doing that. They are giving you the, the minier version with the two doors, right, Brad? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He is. He is. It's not, it's someone. Ty DeLorean. Who's that? The long lost son, allegedly. Lies. Of John DeLorean is building what I can only say are Reliant Robins with DMC grills put on the front. <laughs> 
tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> You're 100% exactly right. exactly what it is. He, so he's basically taken old Reliant Robins that are still floating around Europe, I'm sure, and grafting uh, DMC. Looks, well, it looks like a Monte Carlo front end with the DMC badge. And who's he selling these to? Not me. He's selling them to the Taliban. Oh, what a mess. Hey, you got to butter your bread any way you can. So what's worse, this or that new Lada that's being introduced with like no air conditioning and no door handles and no radio? I think someone made a good point. Did the original Lada come with those features? (laughs) I don't think so. I mean, Russia's going to Russia. You know, they got they got supply chain issues. What are you going to do? <laughs> they, they got san- sanctioning issues. <laughs> what a mess. So are there any other EVs that we should talk about now that the DeLorean has a little bit disappointed us? No. No. <laughs> Everything, they're all dead to us now. They all, they're, they all suck. So there's an update on Mercedes QXX that we covered a while ago. That claimed something, you know, astronomical in their mileage and that they had hit over 600 miles on a single charge. It's that real sleek looking Mercedes, all the aero. Yeah, it looks like an LMP car, right? Yeah. Looks like a freaking race car. Looks awesome. They traveled 750 miles on one charge. All I have to say is big whoop. Jeremy Clarkson did this in a diesel jag. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me I'm wrong. My question is, of those 750 miles, how many of them were downhill and was the car in neutral off? So they drove from Germany to UK, I believe, and they allegedly were not hypermiling it by driving, I think, at excessively low speeds. However, their average speed was around 52 miles an hour, which is, I would say, probably maybe on the low side for some of the highways, but depends what roads they were taking. I would find it hard-pressed that they didn't encounter a hill anywhere. But I think that speaks to whatever technology they're using, plus their coefficient of drag being so low. You know, this is a concept car. It's not a production car. Agreed. But let's redo this test at normal speeds. Let's do it at 70 miles an hour. Like Well, you got to figure you probably are going to do better than the cars that are out today then, because you've doubled what everyone else is doing, basically. But nobody Ooh, wants to go 52 yes, miles but, an hour. But the point is, you've doubled it on the same size battery as other people are using. You've doubled it. So if you drive faster, you're going to go less miles. But there's no way you're going to suddenly do 250 that. miles out of a charge. I mean, unless oh. you're doing a buck 50. I was going to say, time. only on a racetrack. Again, so if, they're, if they're, so, so if they can really do 750 on kind of normal city driving... If you're cruising a bit higher, they should be able to like all day long be hitting four or 500 miles of range. I guess the bigger problem I have with this car is it's not an experiment in reality because of its overall dimensions and its shape. It's not a car like we talked about. It's not a car that people would actually buy. It's impractical. So yes, they are proving a point, but do it with a Mercedes EQ SUV monstrosity. unclear what they've done but if they've come up with something in the battery technology or the delivery system then their next step should be exactly that now that i've refined it in this beautiful concept let me put it in something else and see what i get because this is impractical this is basically a two-seater the way the rear slopes down you're not fitting anybody in the back seat which is fine to have a two-seater but at the price point this is probably going to be no one's going to afford it so 
if you mastered something with your battery technology, slap this in a, an S class or C class or whatever, and let's see what it does. Speaking of the Jag that you mentioned, Jag. how do you feel about another resurrection of older vehicles, electrifying them, giving them new life? Somebody is doing this with E-types. I have one thing to say about this, and I'm sick and tired of companies like Singer and ECD and whoever the companies are doing it with Land Rovers and stuff. I'm tired of you people taking these old beautiful cars and bastardizing them. If you're going to do it, do it like Factory 5 and Superformance where you get a patent for the design, change it slightly like they did with the Shelby Cobras. Make your own freaking bodies and chassis and everything. Don't destroy these iconic vehicles. Don't gut them. Don't gut them. Don't destroy them. Just leave them as is. Why Maybe they're finding barn finds that are already rusted out clap traps and refurbing them. But I mean, to your point, refurb them back to their yeah, petrol. Re- restore them. Yeah. I mean, th- I would imagine that they could probably take some of these vehicles and if they restored them back to actually factory and take them to auction and make more money than what they're selling them for. But maybe they thought about doing that and the market's not there anymore. I don't really know, but I don't like seeing it. So what if the tactic was different? Instead of using Tesla power plants and all that kind of stuff and electrifying them completely, what if the option was to hybridize the old cars? Maybe eliminate the manual transmissions and put in a hybrid package, modernize the interiors. You know, Singer makes some beautiful interiors. You can't deny that. You take an old E-type Jag that you're restoring and put that level of detail into it, modern electronics, you know, get rid of all that Lucas Prince of Darkness stuff, but you have a hybrid. So you still have that Jaguar 12 cylinder or eight cylinder sound, but now I've got like modern, more fuel efficient way of using that older car. Would that be more acceptable? Maybe Singer was a bad example. My main gripe with it is that they're ruining the market for these cars because they're buying them all up and doing these things to them. And there's nothing left for the average Joe to buy unless we want to buy one of their overpriced vehicles. Leave something left for us. If I want to go out and buy an E-Type Jag, I don't want to have to go to ECD and buy it with a Tesla motor for $250,000 or whatever they're going to sell it for. I want to be able to to do a barn find and restore it myself. I mean, we've talked about before, Singer is buying up all the air-cooled 911s and the market is absolutely destroyed, not just because of them, but just the whole 911 market period is just crazy town and it has been for a little while and they're not helping it on a smaller scale in a different market we're running into that with the r32s and the the volkswagen the mark fours because we know of a couple people that are buying them up and destroying them stripping them for parts and you're taking inventory out of the market which is driving up the prices of the cars that are in the market and it's just making it harder and harder for actual enthusiasts that just want to get a car and drive to do that some of those specialty models are hard to replicate because they were specialty models they were in the Mm-hmm. numbers and things like that. I mean, to the point of Singer, I mean, they put out a quality product. The cars are gorgeous. I mean, you can't deny that. It follows a tradition in a way, kind of like Gambala and Roof and some of the other companies that were always taking 911s and modifying them. But I'm starting to hear through the community, there's a resurgence of people saying, all right, guys, you know, we didn't care about the 76 911s and stuff. They were garbage. Everybody hated those. You either had a classic short nose car or you wanted that turbo look late 80s SC, you know, or whatever it was. And then the 964s came out and all that. And they're like, they're going and saying, no, we need to take all those race cars 
that, you know, we bought those set late 70s, 911s, gutted them and stripped them and widened them. And people are saying we need to convert those back to stock. So there's this whole thing going on now there, too, where older Porsche race cars are getting converted back to street cars. And I'm like, talk about an undertaking, which makes me think to the point of this Jag, what happens when the shoe falls and we have a bunch of these electric Astons and Jags and Alfa Romeos and all these things that we've been talking about, these classically bodied cars. And somebody goes, I want to put a petrol power plant back in it. Good luck. You're going to pay for this car 10 times by the time it's said and done with. Now that brings up my next idea that just popped into my head as we're talking about this. I want to take a Tesla Model S and put a Chevy LS swap. LS swap, all the things. You know what? I guarantee the VR society guys on Instagram will find a way to put a VR6 in a Tesla because they'll put a VR6 in anything. So I challenge them. If any of you guys are listening, do it. There's no drive shaft. Didn't somebody already do this? I mean, you got yeah. the guy with the Pacifica yeah. putting a Hellcat engine in it. You know, that's that's so there. So there's YouTube video of vibrant performance, whoever this is or whatever. Anyway, we brought a Tesla to SEMA. It's LS swapped. Amazing. <laughs> this was like uh, a year ago. They took the body off and put it on a C7 Corvette and went, oh, it's LS swapped. Basically, basically. <laughs> no, the C7 Corvette is Tesla swapped. <laughs> So I guess it's time we move on to Brad's favorite section, Lost and Found, where we find out if Brad can find a brand new 2016 Dodge Dart for us to buy this month. Did you call the local dealership yet? No, I was busy. Chuck is waiting for your call. Chuck Ladock, I'm going to give you a call. Operators are standing by. I haven't gotten an email from you in a long time, so I hope you're still there. You were a good salesman. If you'll recap from last month, that 2005 Ford GT base is still out there. Oh, right alongside that Viper, I'm assuming. Viper's gone. The Viper is gone. But this can't be real. A 1988 Cadillac DeVille listed as new is only 166 miles away from me. For how for much? 17000 What? What? <laughs> for a Cadillac from the 80s? There's not even a picture of it. It's a, a picture of someone doing a thumbs up saying, yes, you can. Fishing uh, attack. Yeah, yeah, it's got to be fishing. You can get a 2009 Audi A4. It's listed as brand new. Or a 2011 Chevrolet Traverse. I'll pass. Thank you. A 2012 Fiat 500. New old stock on that one. I found it. You can get a brand new 2013 Dodge Dart Limited GT in Knox Ford. 470 Ooh. miles away. Oh, how much? How much? 10750 That's not terrible. What color is it? It is rental car white. <laughs> that explains a lot. Mm-hmm. So we found another Dodge Dart. Look at that. We, we had one month a... where we didn't have one. Another one has surfaced. So how many another more Dodge Darts are out there? Next to that, there's also a 2015 Chrysler 200S. Ooh, which would you choose? That's a tough call. I would choose the Dart. The bus. <laughs> Amtrak. <laughs> I've, I've driven both. I, I actually thought the 200 wasn't bad. If you're in the front seat, I've heard in the back seat it's terrible. Oh, yeah. The roof might as well be in the door. It's so yeah. low back there. Here's something that Tanya needs to get her checkbook out for. You know, screw the Toyota GR Corolla. You need a 2015 Mercedes Benz SLS AMG GT Final Edition. Oh, that is pure sex right there. It really is. It's pretty slick looking. And it's only $549,989. Oh, 
Oh you know that? my god! That you know, it's probably cheaper to buy a GT3 Mercedes to go run an SRO than to buy that streetcar. Except you can't drive a GT3 Mercedes on the street. That is a beautiful car. <laughs> but I can really trailer is. it to the track and run the hell out of it. Yes, but then you need a truck and a trailer, and you're at, you're, yeah, yeah, yeah. This, you're, these are these are trivial things. There is money left over. I'm telling. No, you. there isn't. Not when you spend fifty grand on a pickup truck and then fifteen grand on an enclosed trailer because you don't want it to get rock chips and stuff on the street, and then you pay your four hundred thousand dollars for your race car. You're spending the same amount of money, and you can't let, drive it on the street. All right, let's be but, real. But it's about, okay. It's okay because you because also race car? no because see your trailer now is also your mobile home, and so you don't have a house or rental payment because you can't afford to live anywhere else but inside your trailer. I mean, you, you also the- don't have a significant other. You don't have money for track fees or race fees. I mean, you can't you- buy safety equipment. You can't buy fuel, especially not now. You bathe every few months at the track. <laughs> every few months. That's about right. I think I could do it. Down to clown on this one. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm going to call Jess and find out what she thinks. <laughs> <laughs> so since we're talking about historical things, when I'm not listening to the Golden Girls over my Bluetooth, I did discover another show that was absolutely riveting. It is a six or seven part miniseries is available on Motor Trend called Seduced by Speed. And I have to say, that's not what hooked me because I was like, I, I, I gloss over stuff like that. It, you know, it's like oh, overly dramatic. This was because the cover art was Liz Carmichael and the famous car, The Dale. And I've been dying to get behind, you know, that whole documentary and all that kind of stuff. And I saw it pop up and I was like, oh, let me check this out. Seduced by Speed reviews the stories behind auto manufacturers like Liz Carmichael and The Dale. John DeLorean and the DMC-12, not to be confused with the Alpha 5. Jerry Weigert and the Vector W8. Zampoli versus Leno and the story behind the Cezetta Marauder V16, which was actually quite fascinating, and many others. But I think the best part, and Tanya would enjoy this, it's narrated by Lake Bell. I know that name. Lake Bell. I don't recognize that name. You would know her voice if you heard it. Oh, yeah. I know. Yeah, okay. I recognize her, but... Why would I know what show she was on? She was one of the lawyers on Boston Legal. (laughs) Denny Crane. That said, it's done in an office-like interview style with photos and archive footage, a bunch of stuff mixed in. I thought it was really well done. Every episode averages about 42 to 45 minutes. If you want to binge watch about four hours, five hours of TV and learn something about some really obscure car manufacturers and their backstories or origin stories and geek out on that, I totally recommend checking out Seduced by Speed on Motor Trend. I love how we had no idea who she was or what she was in. And it's clearly printed in black and white in the show notes. I mean, that's on (laughs) y'all. We have to switch gears and give you guys some sad news. We found out through our network of friends out there in the, in the automotive world that Dr. Simeone of the Simeone Museum and Foundation in Philadelphia passed away in the middle of the night during Le Mans. So we were sad to hear that that was on June the 11th. And uh, we were actually planning to make a trip back out there to see the collection it changes all the time. And, and for those of you that know, they pull the cars out and they actually exercise them once a month. So it's always really cool to get out there, especially we can go you know when some of the Le Mans cars are coming out or some of the other vintage sports cars and whatever so we really enjoyed the time when we were up there we got to spend time with Dr. Simeone and take some pictures with him and whatnot but it was sad to hear his passing rest in peace absolutely 
We've got one more thing to talk about when it comes to lost and found. For anybody looking for a new daily driver, Road and Track came out with a list, 20 sports cars that make excellent daily drivers. Lies. You saw the list. Thought it was terrible. None none of those cars make sense. A a 2022 McLaren GT. Right? Excellent daily driver. Excellent daily driver. (laughs) Or the BMW Z4. Okay, the Z4, fine. The Toyota Supra, fine. Which is the Z4. An Aston Martin Super Leggera. <laughs> no. I mean, we, we know how nice it is to drive an Aston Martin. I mean, just look at what happened with James May when they did those cars to, to go down the Stelvio Pass. Was the Stelvio I mean, Pass? Ferrari anything is not a good daily driver. The Camaro. GTS, did this replace the Super Speed or whatever it was? Other than the Supra and the Z4, none of those make any sense as everyday sports cars. I mean, there's stuff on there like the R8. If you want to look like a total badass, yeah, get an R8. You look like Batman. Is it practical? No. The R8 looks like Iron Man. Get it right. Which is Marvel's Batman. So yeah, what, what, yeah, what is this Marvel you speak of? I have no idea what you're talking about. It's marvelous. The Ford Mustang actually should be on the list. I agree. Uh, it, 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 so that's a good one. The, the Z Camaro. should be on the list. The Z was there's out. a there's the Honda S2000, an impractical car. You can get an Acura NSX, but everything else on this list is like 2022, 2021. Now suddenly there's the 2000 to 2009 S2000. <laughs> I have a love hate relationship with S2000s, and mostly because of coaching. Further down, there's another section. It's the best classic cars for daily driving. Oh, enlighten me. (laughs) Here we go. Let's look at this. Ah, the Volkswagen Beetle. Yeah. See, that's the only option. I would, I could rock that. The The, the box body. The box body Mustang. Hells yeah. Oh my God. Burn this list. Burn this list. Burn this list. Burn this list. Tanya, this is the legit Impala, not the 60s Impala, but the early 90s LT1 powered Impala sports car, not a sports car. This is a classic car? Yes. Okay. The Nissan President. (laughs) (laughs) An XJ? An XJ Wrangler. Ooh. Ooh. AE86. Because those are easy to come by now. Yeah, 100%. Drift King. The Mr. Two. It's super impractical as well. Two thousand two. a great daily driver. 2002. I hate those cars. Where do you <laughs> put the groceries in a, in a first-gen MR2? Where do you put the mulch? Here's probably the most realistic one, finally. The E30. The series, yeah. Is that a classic now? All God, all- that makes me feel old. Eric, you are going to be so happy. There are three cars right here that I'm going to tell you that are just going to tickle your heartstrings. Oh, Lord. The Volkswagen Golf GTI. Yeah. Classic. The Mark One. The uh, Volkswagen Corrado. Oh, yeah. And here's another one of your favorites. The Datsun Z. Yes. Excellent. Although I approve you this skipped, message. You skipped the Saab 900. <laughs> well, because I was only talking about cars that Eric might actually like. You know, the 900 is starting to grow on me because I'm starting to see some tastefully redone and restored 900s. I was always weirded out about those cars. I got to drive a 900 Turbo many, many years ago. It was as awkward as you think it is. It's a sob. It's got weird stuff. It's kind of like the Citroen BX and some other cars. I'm like, they're so weird that you kind of want to love them. The Saab 900 evolved from fighter jets. Oh, but yeah, yeah. You know, I when I was in elementary school, one of the neighbors up the street had a Saab 900 and I saw it every day when I was walking home from school. And the only thing I thought was that is the weirdest looking Porsche 911 I've ever seen. That's the 911 I drew as a kid because I couldn't yeah. draw a 911. <laughs> that's, the 9- that's the 911 you still draw. <laughs> 
Well, I guess we would be remiss. Uh, you know, honestly, a little short on the Tesla news. Um, How is that even possible? There's so much drama. You know, it's just we're short on Tesla news. Hey, you got any Dogecoin? Uh, I need oh. some more. Well, there is the whole like Tesla, Elon Musk, and SpaceX being sued or something. Can we some throw of, Solar City in there too? Might as well just of, round out the herd. Some sort of pyramid scheme involving Dogecoin. I don't, I don't know the details, but you know. <laughs> $258 billion is the claim. So is, is that all? Is that all? <laughs> no, that, that's all. That's all. That's all. Bankrupt him or has he still got money left on the table for that? You know, I don't know. Maybe that's why he's been kind of speaking these bankrupt words lately. Oh. And, you know, is that know. why he, he's pivoting to Twitter? <laughs> so who's going to buy Tesla? I keep saying it. Somebody's going to gobble him up. Volkswagen. That would be an interesting fight. Chevy, because they got nothing. Nikola didn't work out. I mean, just keep spending that cash. Just keep printing it. (laughs) Chevy will do it, but they'll come up with the idea 10 years too late. And then they'll have to buy Tesla from like Volkswagen or Ford. Stellantis will just absorb them. Like the Borg. (laughs) So someone posted some article about data likely shows Tesla's on autopilot crash more than rivals. The data definitely shows they crash more into stationary objects on the side of the road with flashing lights. Um, however, this is not very exciting because it's the Chevy unclear. Bolt is way more exciting. That's why. Well, it's unclear whether all the other manufacturers have reported at the same frequency or the same claim. So if this isn't apples to apples, it's not really meaningful. So it's kind of like, meh, moving on. So Tanya, we need to go back and revisit when you spoke about the hot lap at VIR against the Taycan a couple months ago. Mm-hmm. Yes. What? Well, you know, that came back to haunt us this month. Uh-oh. Oh, yeah. This was the Taycan versus the Tesla that was like modified with... Stock, we're going to put it in air quotes. Yes. Quote, stock, but but then had like a list of modifications. <laughs> that's, that's right. So Brad and I were approached at VIR by two gentlemen and they said, we really want to talk to you. We want to sit down and have a conversation. We're like, oh boy. Wow, fingers so, pointing in your face and everything. Oh yeah, man. And it was, it was intense in, in a slightly Danish accent. And I was like, man, who is this guy? You know why that? They wanted to talk to us because we were interviewing drivers to get their stories. And we were actually sent down by the press officer. Like these guys want to talk to you. You need to go buy their trailer. Like they are anxious to talk to you. And I'm like, oh man, what, what are the these heck the people on? in the Tesla? <sighs> ding, 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 ding. We got to sit down with Johan Schwartz, the driver of that Tesla Plaid, and he set the record straight. He actually wanted to talk about another record that he holds, which you'll hear about in the episode. So he is the record holder at VIR in that Tesla for the hot lap. VIR Grand, of course. Just in doing our, our due diligence and our research before we taped, came up as, oh my God, is this, this the driver that we talked about last month? And the other record that he holds is in the Guinness world record book. It's actually really, really cool. And it is motorsports related. So spoiler alert, we got Johan Schwartz and Todd Brown from Brewster Hall Racing. And that episode will be airing here probably in a couple of weeks or so on Break Fix. So look forward. It's going to be a very entertaining episode. Again, he sets the record straight on the hot lap at VIR and some of the other stuff that both of them are involved with. So it was pretty cool to have that come back at us while we were at VIR. What's more interesting is Brad might be able to use his hundred dollar deposit on his Cybertruck. The Cybertruck design is quote, finally locked. And there's an updated timeline. 
2030. No, just kidding. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Damn, Brad. Are, is it at least like a bond? Are you getting like interest on this $100 you put down? No, I'm not. It actually went to Elon Musk buying Dogecoin. <laughs> Are you going to get some Dogecoin for it? So in, indirectly, I yeah, Dogecoin, which is worth probably nothing right now because all of crypto is in the toilet. Apparently, the updated timeline is mid-23 now, TBD. But yes, allegedly, the design is locked. And this like satellite image, just kidding, it's not that bad. But this drone footage here has side mirrors and, and one nine-foot windshield wiper. <laughs> The windshield wiper is so long, it can't go down all the way, or it'll be like that guy hauling wood on the last month's episode. I have a solution to the problem, and I witnessed it on the way home from BIR. Let me enlighten you guys. No, no, because I know Brad, we had to make a special trip to get windshield washer fluid. He was complaining that he couldn't clean his windshield. I kept thinking about it. I was like, ah, it's summertime, just pour a bottle of water in there, whatever. Those words came back to haunt me later. As I was stopped at a light, the people behind me opened their sunroof, reached out, poured a bottle of water across the windshield, and then squeegeed it from inside the No! <laughs> no! I thought you were just going to say they poured it and then used the wiper. No. I'm like, okay, well, no. it happens. You run, out of, you run out of liquid. Team effort. One person no. with the bottle, the other person with the squeegee from inside the car, reaching out of the sunroof. You know what? If you're going to be a passenger, it's gas, grass, ass, or squeegee. <laughs> no, no. I was busting up laughing because it was unbelievable. And I'm like, I'm going to miss the light because I'm laughing at these guys. They're squeegeeing and pouring water. And I'm like, wow. What Only was the car? Was it the was car? some nondescript <laughs> Ford that I don't even remember. <laughs> I was like, it could have been a focus. It could have been I mean, you were so distracted by it. I, I was end. laughing so hard. I was like, this is unreal. It's one of those moments where you're always going to be too late to bust out your phone and record it. And then people are going to be like honking at you or whatever, but they're right behind me. And I was just laughing my ass off. I was like, I couldn't believe it. I said, Brad, there you go. You didn't need to go to Advance Auto and buy winter washer food. Just pour your long gorilla arms and just, you know, wipe your hand. You don't even, dude, you don't even I need a ride or die with me to do that. Okay, wait, wait, wait a second. So this implies not only does the motor for the reservoir not work or the lines or something, the windshield wiper, the motors or something about them also does not function. So what if it had been raining? Would passenger have been like, like constantly like squeegeeing out the sunroof the whole like trip? These are questions that remain with unanswered. I'm telling would you, you. Put, no, would no, they no, put no, like he, an, yes. an umbrella out yes. to keep the yes. water? There you go. So he would have the sunroof with, while they're squeegeeing. Um, yeah, he would have went up with an umbrella, and then he would squeeze. There need a third person to hold the umbrella while the second one is squeegeeing, while the first one is driving and trying not to crash, while he's uh, laughing his ass off at his stupid ass friends. Unbelievable. And I'm just like, I saw the squeegee come out the sunroof and I was just like, that was it. No, no. <laughs> so this means that it wasn't the first time that they've done this. They came prepared with their <laughs> bottles of water and their squeegee. All right. Think about this for a minute. Oh, we're riding in Andrew's car. Better get the squeegee in the water. <laughs> 
But you know what? This is not the only weird thing I saw on this trip. Trundling down the highway, doing my thing. And I look in the rearview mirror and I see, of all things, a Mercury Sable. And I'm like, you don't see one of those every day. Mercury Sable. I know Dan's got like six or 10 of them up at the mountain that are all turning into dirt. But (laughs) this one was especially odd and it caught my attention. It wasn't the platinum beige classic color that Mercury Sables come in. No, no. It was moving at a high rate of speed. It just looked really, really odd to me. And I'm like, of course it did. It was a Mercury no, Sable. Well, no, not, not just that. It was like, something's wrong with this car. I need to throw the meatball flag here to use a motorsports term. There's a problem with this vehicle because it was crab walking <laughs> down the highway and the driver was struggling to keep it in the lane. So I slowed up. I got past and they were, must've been doing 85. I mean, they were book it. That sounds like a very safe speed to be doing when you're having a mechanical issue on your car. Thousand percent. So this car blows by me, basically going down the road sideways, right? Crap walking (laughs) down the lane. And as it went by, suddenly all of the little warning emojis in my brain went off and I backed way off because what I realized was the reason your spare tire says do not exceed 55 miles an hour my God. It's not because the tire cannot go 85. It's because your car crab walks <laughs> when mounted to the vehicle. <laughs> so basically they're three-wheeling going down the road. This donut is dragging the car sideways. They're fighting the car the whole way. And I'm like, what are you doing? Do you think the tire was inflated? No, it was a spare. It was a no, spare. but it could be an uninflated spare. I don't know, but it was bad. I mean, it was, it was hunched down and it was crab walking the whole way. And I was just like, my God. And then it dawned on me. This is why I tell people all the time. I know it's a pain in the butt, especially with those scissor jacks and everything else. Never put the donut on the front. Mm -mm. Can you imagine? It's like having skinnies at the drag strip. You first corner you take and you're exceeding the limit of that wheel and of that tire. Dude, you're going off in the woods. (laughs) it's going to understeer like a cow. It's just terrible. The crab walking bad enough, but put the donut on the back. Try to maintain that safety speed because it was just ridiculous. And the way they were sawing at the wheel to keep it going down the road, it was bonkers. Why is that person so dumb? Slow down. Why are you doing 85? Just blew my mind. Between that and the windshield wiper squeegee, I mean, it was a red letter day. So where do you put the spare tire? When you're using super cruise, if you're not steering, who cares? Let the car fight it. I can see the steering wheel in front of me doing this. <laughs> trying to super, super cruise explodes at that point. It cannot compute, cannot compute. All your base are belong to us. Well, move over Florida, man. We got Virginia people. I hope I have lowered your guys' expectations. Lowered expectations. Wow. I'm just blown. <laughs> So something really, really sad that we all knew was coming. Subprime lending in the car market and borrowers, surprise, surprise, with escalating prices and escalating credit. Balloon payments, yeah. And they're not paying their debts down. They're not paying off their credit cards. They're stopping payments on their personal loans and car loans are included in that. Yes, we're in inflation and most credit cards are adjustable rate. And with the Fed raising rates every quarter, basically... All those minimum payments are going to start going up and people are going to, they're going to pay for their house and their food before they can pay for anything else. Yes. They've been talking about this 
for years. We knew it was going to happen. It's finally starting to happen. So here's what I want to know. Do we get a Christian Bale movie version of this? Kind of like the big short? Or is that just still called Drive to Survive? I don't get the joke. I, 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 Tanya, I think you and I have to shut Eric down now. If he hasn't watched Drive to Survive, he cannot make Drive to Survive jokes. He tried. He tried really hard this month to get me to watch it. He's like, we're going to do it. I'm putting it on the TV. I'm like, no, I can't. Did you put it on? Because no, apparently but, Golden Girls got put on, but not Drive said, to Survive. You know, I clicked on Drive to Survive season one and Golden Girls showed up. Dude, I don't know those what Those saucy old ladies are amazing. <laughs> that, was the, that was the original Drive to Survive. <laughs> yes. St. Olaf edition. They were surviving, all right. Not much drive there, though. Well, they had a drive to survive. Yeah, not they, that they, they had did. to. Not that they, they had, had to drive to survive, but they had the drive to survive. The drive to survive. And Blanche was a slut. Rose said so. We know this. Rose, it's a- Rose said so, yes. Well, um, since they're in Florida, it's probably time that we move on to some Florida man stories. We actually have a couple Florida stories. One of these isn't very interesting. I mean, they're having some sort of truck meet thing. It already happened. And they're popo going to crack down on illegal activities involving truck people doing truck things at a truck event in Daytona. America. I mean, pew, pew, pew. I don't know. Like, cool. I think this, I think this has already passed, but maybe you were at this truck event and saw some stuff. There was probably alligators involved. God knows. I don't even know where the hell we are. We're looking at what the fuck are we talking about? Because I'm waiting for this, this other story. I'm saving the best for last. Come on. You can't lead with that and then go to freaking truck month. <laughs> like, special event well we know we know how you feel about trucks in general so you know when i when i so for the truck story when i see oh these trucks may get towed or are going to be towed i just see in my mind the video we've all seen it of the guy with the f-350 dually and the, the repo man comes and try and takes it and he literally gets in his truck slams it in four-wheel drive and drives off the tow truck and then takes off that's what I'm envisioning. Uh, these people with these brodozers, they don't care. They're not going to get caught. They're going to end up in the Everglades somewhere. I mean, this sounds like some sort of Ocean City Waterfest truck edition. H2O. And subprime loans, right? So let's just mix that in there too. So- yeah, they, they've got their 10-year, 15% interest, F-350, dually, diesel, rolling coal down in Daytona Beach. They're not going to get caught by no popo. Moral of the story Go to like a sanctioned event that's controlled where you can do things safely and don't be a butthole when you leave on the road where there's other innocent people. Tanya, you're really asking too much. Pick one of those things. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just pick one. You get one. You get one thing. Oh, God. I want to see the Brodozer crab walk with its spare tire on. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Wasn't there a problem with which trucks was it that had that problem where suddenly, and I witnessed this, it was terrifying to behold where they have some sort of differential problem where the whole truck would like violently start shaking. Do you know what I'm talking about? No Dan about knows what that. I'm talking about because we had this conversation once. I know my Jeep had the death wobble if the front suspension was I think that's what it's called. Something like that. The front end would start doing this. My old Wrangler used to do it all the time until I actually went in and tightened up every single bolt under the front suspension. I actually was near somebody 
70 plus miles an hour on the highway and it looked like an earthquake was happening just under them. Never seen anything like that. Like I wasn't sure what was going to happen, but I got out of their way because I was like, I do not want to be collateral damage in like this thing blowing up because it was so violent. And then all of a sudden it stopped. Yeah, for me, the only way it would stop is if I slowed down to like 30 miles an hour. They definitely didn't slow down that much, but I don't know what they did to get it back under control. But it was just like one minute it was fine. The next minute it was like a freaking earthquake and they're laying just under them. And then it was like, okay, again, it was so bizarre truck stuff. And I bet they weren't (laughs) driving to the repair shop either. Oh, hell no. But anyway, speaking of nothing related to anything I just said, but next story. Speaking of crazy stuff and crazy people. What is it with these crazy lawsuits? Last month we talked about... The person suing the car owner who dropped their car off for an oil change where the tech killed a fellow mechanic. Because he couldn't drive manual. And somehow it's the owner's fault who wasn't even there anyway. So this this is another one on par with that out of Missouri. So, (laughs) God, there are all kinds in the world. The headline says it all. Geico. And we all know who Geico is, car insurance provider. Geico is ordered to pay Missouri woman 5.2 million. So you're thinking, oh, what happened? Like, what was this accident, right? After she contracted STD in a car. Wait, what? That STD, yes. So she does the deed with somebody in their car. Then allegedly afterwards gets the little disease, whichever one it was. And then because it happened in his car and the car insurance provides for injuries and losses, she's turning around trying to get money from his car insurance. What, Not what? just turning around trying to get money. She got, got the money. Who got fired from Geico over this is what I'd like to know. Right? Somebody didn't take this seriously. And my rates up, better not go up because of this. And oh, fuck. Actually, my rates have gone up, but Usually that's statewide, so we're not in Missouri. But nonetheless, 5.2 million probably is going to be uh, impacted countrywide for Geico. Um, so maybe that is why my rates went up. Hmm. Eric, what insurance company do you use? Nanya. <laughs> because you you gave me something this weekend, and I need to report it. <laughs> oh, all right, all right. I need to I need to file a claim because because Daddy needs a GTR. <laughs> Man, I just don't eat. I can't even. I don't. How does this stuff? How does it not get laughed out of court? Like, how do the judges just not throw this out? Or, I mean, even Geico, like, what the hell? Like, you this know is what craziness. The, the main problem with this is it sets a precedent. Thank now, you. there's a precedent where someone can say, I got a sexually transmitted disease having sex in a car. You owe me even money now. But now, what's the can of worms of like, I come to your house and. I don't know. My homeowner's insurance should pay for it. Yeah, like you give me food poisoning or, you know, you're at whoever's house and they give you the disease. Now what? (laughs) Joke's on you. Homeowner's insurance doesn't pay for anything. (laughs) (laughs) Racket. Insurance is a racket. This is terrible. Never mind. uh, and, And the audacity of somebody. I would never even consider... Like, who, who's the person that thought to go sue Geico over this? That's why you're not a millionaire, Tanya. Clearly. Clearly, I'm doing it wrong in life. <laughs> I, too, right. could just have. Wait, just wait for the reality show that comes next, and it'll be fine. You know, But seriously, on. Eric, you got Geico? 
I need to do I need I need to do life better so that I could have that five hundred thousand Mercedes. You know what the problem? The problem is you're a good person. That is my problem. Yeah. Gosh. Well, if we haven't talked enough about motorsports, it's time to go behind the pit wall and talk about motorsports news. So we're going to switch gears and talk about Indy and Formula One. Again, June is the month for all the best racing, right? So the Indy 500 also happened and the purse soared to an astronomical new height. I guess basically broken some records. The race winner, first place, Marcus Erickson, took home $3.1 million out of a total purse weighing in at, I believe it's $16 million. It's distributed across all the driver's contingency and otherwise. That's a lot of Dogecoin for the Indy 500. So we've talked a lot in the past about Michael Andretti's ambitions to go to Formula One. A lot of people may or may not know that there's an Andretti Autosport team still running an Indy car, and there's been some shuffling of the deck over there again with drivers and whatnot. People not, you know, putting their best lap times down, not living their best racing life. I'm not a big Indy car fan. We need Sam on here to do his his Indy car report. Yeah, his Indy car report. Alexander Rossi, not to be confused with Valentino Rossi. Alexander Rossi is being replaced next year by Kirkwood. Good for the Indy 500. I unfortunately didn't watch it, just like Drive to Survive, not watching that either. So you guys watch the Formula One races. So what is going on? What is this porpoising thing? Did they suddenly turn into sea mammals? What the hell is going on? The cars, they is a bouncy. As they go down as the track, they bouncy, bouncy. What do you mean they're bouncy? They have like more downforce than if another car was sitting on top of them. Yeah, no, no, no. Bouncy, bouncy. <laughs> are we talking kangaroos? Like, what are we talking about here? We're talking Basically. like a, like a porpoise. As so a it's porpoise. jumping, they're jumping out of the water? No, they're vibrating. They're bouncing down okay. the straights. There's nothing more exciting than watching a driver's head. They're oscillating vertically. You know, the vertical oscillation. We all experience it. So it's it's like the stance bros when they hit a bridge joist and they, they bounce for like five minutes until the that's, car settles down? That's exactly what it is. So I think my opinion on what's going on is all the cars were redesigned for this year and they're finding that now the tracks all need to be repaved. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, it's something to do with the underside they haven't got it quite right, but apparently like Red Bull has so far because they're not suffering. They haven't suffered as bad as everybody else, but their design is slightly different. They've got, I don't want to say bent the design rules, but maybe there's like some caveat loophole that they've, they've got like these wings at the front underneath that are, I think, redistributing the air probably in a better way. Red and I don't think machines. anyone else is running quite that same design. So I don't know what channeling is happening underneath and basically just sitting there and they're doing this bouncing and they're compressing everyone's spines in the seat and their heads are like floppy rag dolls in the cars. At 200 miles an hour. Bouncing off the halo. It can't be pleasant. The last race or whatever, you know, it was Azerbaijan when Hamilton got out and he was like basically holding his back, which everyone likes to complain that he's just a crybaby loser. But I can only imagine that is not pleasant for your back. So I'm sure he was in legitimate pain. And there were other think drivers complaining about it too. So can I ask a stupid question? No. What if we put the 15 inch wheels back on? And the tires absorb some of yes. the 
we talked about this a little bit, but in thinking about it, maybe it's not a tire issue. Well, the tires are part of the suspension on formula cars, right? That oh, side but, sidewall deflection makes a huge difference. But they all have the same tires, right? So why is Red Bull not having an issue? Or other teams aren't complaining as badly. But it could also be the air going over the tires. It could be a lot of things because granted, maybe the overall diameter is the same, but it's not deflecting the air the same way. The sidewalls are stiffer. There's a lot in that tire technology. And it's a little bit, I hate to say, unproven. Going from a 15-inch wheel to an 18, cut the sidewall in half. There's a lot of stuff going on there that I would love to see them just throw a set of 15s on and see if it makes a difference. Like, let's start with the simple things first, right? Because all those designs they come up with, with the funky air and all the the tunneling stuff that they do, they're pretty, I hate to say, pitch perfect at the end of the day. What's the biggest change to the car is these ridiculous wheels that they put on to make them look like, you know, matchbox cars. Yeah, and the FIA has said, you know, I mean, they issued a press release saying that they're going to step in and look at everything and come up with a solution. Oh, they are? They're just going to wave a magic wand and not worry about the engineers? They're just going to tell them what to do? Yeah. Yep. Oh, okay, cool. Good job, guys. You'll learn about it in Drive to Survive. No, I won't. <laughs> so Tanya mentioned Azerbaijan. I heard a little rumor that Ferrari had four DNFs in that race. Yep. What the heck happened? Signs was a gearbox issue, I think. His motor was High still running. So, yeah, okay. Leclerc blew the motor because all of a sudden it started smoking. Mm-hmm. I think one of the other, one of the Haas's also had a similar fate. It wasn't smoking as badly or it was the Alpha, one or the other. I don't remember which was the issues, but basically, yeah, four of the power plants poo-pooed. And to make matters worse, Schumacher is still having issues. Was that the race he crashed in? I mean, which one hasn't he crashed in? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Schumacher is the new Mazepin. Well, I wouldn't say he's as bad as that guy, but he was doing really well in Canada, except the car died. (laughs) Well, have you seen the Canadian track? I mean, I'd love to be there, but it's like driving around a potato. (laughs) It's not like as complicated maybe as some of the other tracks. No, but he qualified. He and Magnussen qualified like five and six. I mean, they were at the top of the field. They were the only team with two drivers in the top six. Yeah. So, I mean, they were in a good position and then... Unfortunately, Magnuson suffered a front wing damage that meatballed him. And then he lost a shit ton of time in the pits and could never recover. And then Schumacher's car, he pulled it off the track basically because it died. So that was it for Team Haas. And I was very worried during that race because Alonso started on the front line, which apparently was the first time in forever. He was so he started number two, and I was just thinking it's the Alonzo train for 70 laps now, <laughs> which is annoying as hell and amazing to watch all at the same time. No, it's not, it's so frustrating to watch. It's, it's frustrating to be behind him, but oh my, he gets his elbows out so far. For he reaches from wall to wall, you cannot get around him, even in the grass. He's just that guy knows how to defend. I was I'm very grateful when he had to pit and let everybody go by. That <laughs> race was a good race. That was a good race. That was a very exciting race. It's unfortunate Leclerc ended up starting all the way in the back, fighting his way through DRS trains to get finally, what did he come in fifth? Mm-hmm. Climbed his way back up from basically dead last to fifth. Probably if he wasn't stuck in DRS trains, could have done so much better. He did some awesome non-DRS passes, which you often don't see non-DRS passes anymore. So it was pretty cool. And then the battle between Science and Verstappen at the very end was like 
someone needed to make a mistake. I mean, science was breathing down his neck and he was making mistakes, unfortunately, and just couldn't get around them. And unfortunately, the Ferraris don't have the straight line speed. So there was no way he was going to make the pass, but he was glued to him basically for the last couple laps, trying to get back into first place. So there was also a video going around and I'm sure you saw it, Brad, where they were basically critiquing Danny Rick and talking about how his driving style is part of the reason why he's not competitive because he's too old school now. I mean, yeah, I can see that being a problem. He's your heartthrob. I mean, aren't you a little disappointed by that? Of course. It's Danny Rick. I mean, it's your boy. He's always been in like the middle of the pack. He's like this guy that I feel like everyone had all these high expectations and then... He had one or two podiums and blah, blah, blah. And then, but for the most part, the majority is middle pack. And then it's just gotten worse. Like he keeps jumping ship. Like he didn't stay long enough with anybody. He had a lot of promise at Red Bull, but Max Verstappen had more promise. And I mean, I think you and I theorized this or you theorized it, that he was kind of maybe a little scared of having to compete with Verstappen and he didn't want to be the number two driver on his own team. Yeah, there's so, ego there, right? So he, he made the jump. The jump to Renault was just not good because the car just wasn't really competitive with McLaren. It's just a completely different car and he just, he can't seem to get it together. Well, and the McLarens themselves aren't competitive because everyone, you know, Not this year, no, they make Lando seem like, you know, Lando is supposed to be the next Verstappen himself and he can't do anything out there either. So yeah, this year, McLaren, they kind of like the way Mercedes, they just, they can't get it together. But last year, the McLarens were pretty competitive. Danny won a, a race. You know, last year. A race. <laughs> Out of how many races? Like 30? Because everyone else DNF. No, just kidding. <laughs> oh. Well, he, he has actually won some races and he's podium a few times. So he's doing better than a lot of the drivers in the field right now. A lot of the drivers in the field right now have not as much experience. That is true. They don't have as many races under their belt. I mean, he's like 27 and they're 19. I mean, I get it. He's got some gears on him, right? <laughs> <laughs> I think he's in his 30s. But wow, he's, he's a geezer. He's a bronze yeah right he's bronze class yeah he's 32 i mean for f1 standards no he's ancient but schumacher was still out there running until he was like almost 40 right or something like that i mean a lot of those also in the fastest cars true but i mean back in the the day the f1 drivers were a lot older than they are now now they're like you can drive a cart at like five years old and then by eight you're in a formula car you're like good to go you know it's it's nuts We got to switch over to sports cars and talk a little bit about IMSA and SRO, you know, kind of goes hand in hand. So I'll start with a little bit of IMSA news. Talked early on about the next year's Le Mans and all that kind of stuff and the changes in GT4 and whatnot. And I I happen to mention that SRO owns GT4 and they pretty much do. They own that class of racing globally and IMSA partners with them on that, right? They kind of license it. We have this conversation with some other folks in the same respect, like TCR, the touring class now belongs to IMSA and they license that out to other folks to be able to run in that series. IMSA and SRO have renewed their long-term partnership for the GT4 homologation. And like I said, that's going to bring to bear all sorts of manufacturers that we haven't seen for a long time in sports car, like McLaren, like Audi coming back, you know, things like that, more BMWs, more Mercedes and, and whatnot in those classes, hopefully room for Nissan with the Z, you know, things of that nature. So I'm really excited for GT4 because it opens the doors for other cars to be on the big stage 
you know, later down the road, whether it be at Petit Le Mans or at Le Mans itself and, and Rolex and some of those other races. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. Brad, you and I got to talk a little bit about our, our experience at VIR with SRO. So I'll kick it off to you and say, what did you think? I thought it was great. I thought the racing was really, really good to see. It was very competitive and I like their, their setup. It felt like an IMSA race from a spectator standpoint, but more down to business. They didn't have a lot of fanfare and a lot of the fluff that you get in an IMSA race that brings in a lot of casual fans, but I thought the racing was great. Earlier, you mentioned running elbows out being super defensive. I think we saw some of that at this weekend at VIR, right? Our good friend of the show, Andy Pilgrim, ran in the GT class. He held third place for till the final lap. In an eight-year-old Ferrari 458, which is... Yeah, yeah last of the production gt3 cars of that era i mean holy smokes the huracan that should have i don't know why he started so late in the pack i think he was supposed to start second or third or whatever but he spent the entire race clawing back through both classes because it was a two-class race and every time he got up to andy he seemed to kind of lose it for some i think he was intimidated i think he was scared I, I know Andy and I'm intimidated by him as well. He's the nicest guy in the world, unless you're on a racetrack. <laughs> Dude, he made that Ferrari super wide. That's for sure. He did. But I feel gutted that he came in fourth because he really deserved that podium. He did. And you know what? It was a good race. It was an exciting race. But that Huracan, I mean, that Lamborghini was hauling ass. There's no other way to put it. He was rocketing through the cars. And I mean, his closing rate, his speed, that thing was unbelievably good. He went off, what, two or three times during the race even and still ended up third overall. One of those is because Andy scared him, I think. (laughs) Yeah, I think more than once was because Andy scared him. Who who else was there that, that we saw? Well, there was your favorite Sally McNulty running in the Honda Civic. (laughs) You keep saying that, but I mean, yeah, she's cool or whatever. (laughs) She had a rash of bad luck, didn't she? She did have a bit of bad luck. What she she had a wreck. Which I think she she broadsided a mini in the race on Sunday. I'm not sure what happened on uh, on well, Saturday. On, on but... Saturday, somebody clipped her and pulled the rear bumper, so she was dragging it around like a parachute. It was terrible. True, true. And qualifying and practice, it was a rough weekend. But hopefully, she can turn things around at Watkins Glen, and hopefully, we get to talk to her at Watkins Glen as well. Absolutely. And, you know, we weren't joking when we posted on Instagram, we've got, you know, commitments from Sally McNulty and Samantha Tan to come on the show. So some spoiler alerts there. So look forward to more personalities from SRO coming on the show here in the future. For such an event that it was kind of low key as compared to like the big circuses that we're used to, there were a ton of fans. You looked and the parking lots were full, the paddock was full, the the track was humming, spectators everywhere. And to your point, it's not the same kind of multi-class racing, it's sprint racing. So hour-long races and each of the the run groups, right, whether it's TC, whether it's GT America, GT3, GT4, they run their, their allotted time schedules and you've got fans in every group, you know, people that span the entire, the entire series, the entire weekend. I thought it was a great experience. Obviously, we got a lot of access over the weekend or over the course of practice and the race itself. And we're going to follow up with a lot of folks and you're going to hear those episodes in subsequent weeks. But I thought it was absolutely fantastic. 
Agreed. I would encourage folks that if you don't know what SRO is, go back and listen to our sub-series of episodes sponsored by SRO to learn what the series is about and come check out some of the races. They are traveling the country. There's races out on the West Coast, down in Florida. We're going to Watkins Glen next month with SRO. You know, they're going to be at Indy. They're going to be at Nashville. They're going to be all over the country. And it's just a fantastic series. Lots of great people and lots of great action out there. I hear there's some other news buzzing around the virtual world. Uh, Are we talking about possibly Forza Motorsport finally being announced? Does it have a release date? It's been like 10 years now. I believe the release date is spring next year, spring of 2023, unless there's further delays. Are there chip shortages writing the code? The words in the Microsoft? I do remember seeing something that said it was going to also be compatible with Xbox One, not just the new Series X. But I don't know if that is actually going to be true or not. So what's the over-under on it being Forza 7 with new cars and a facelift? With the amount of time they're spending on it, it should, should definitely be more than that. I mean, it's been how many years since Forza 7 came out? It's been a long time. It would be a generational leap in immersion. It's been five years. So it'll have been six by the time it comes out. Good Lord. That's like Sony with Gran Turismo, right? It takes like 10 years for the newest one to come out and then nobody cares. The latest trailer finally giving a date for when the game will be done. They didn't talk a lot overall on the game. They just focused in on the dynamic weather that they're working on. And they alluded to how the dynamic weather is going to impact the physics and tire. So as the day changes through the game, the sun changes, the shadows on a track change, the track cools or heats differently, and it actually impacts the tire temperatures and impacts your grip and all that stuff as you're racing. And that changes dynamically as you're playing lap after lap or whatever. I mean, that's a pretty big change physics wise versus what the static where the puddles always in the same place. Brad, correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't they have this in project Gotham four? Well, what I was going to say, not related to project Gotham four is, but they came out with the same claims when they were teasing Forza Motorsport 7. I mean, not with the changing puddles and stuff like that, but with the changing temperatures and the the day turning to night or getting darker. I mean, because anybody that's driven Forza Motorsport 7 knows when you drive it VIR going into turn one, you can see absolutely nothing. It's pitch black, but then coming around to turn 10, it's like sunny and bright and everything. Now it doesn't shift as you're going through the race around the track, but this is all stuff that they talked about was the big improvements for Forza Motorsport 7. So I'm curious to see if it actually gets into Forza Motorsport 8. Yeah, and I feel like they're taking a playbook out of Codemaster's physics engine because the Ego engine already has all this technology, right? That they use in dirt and they use in grid and they use in Formula One and all the other games outside of Project Cars 3, which has the Madness engine in it. I feel like they're playing catch up a little bit, but on the same token, when we're doing virtual racing, we always avoid the rain races because they're terrible. No, nope, right? I love them. The rain races <laughs> are the best. Rain races at Silverstone and VIR are amazing. Maybe for you. I hate them. but I yeah. love them. We Normally um, the vote goes dry races and let's go, right? But, of course. Although Daytona is always at night. That's true. It's better at night. All I will say is that as long as I can play it on controller, I'll be happy. If they make it so that you need a wheel to really enjoy it, there are already sim games out there designed for that. Just make it so I can be competitive with the controller still. Yeah, I made that leap over this past winter and I tried iRacing and I and people are trying to convince me of how great iRacing is. I don't get it. 
I don't have the patience to tune for 10 hours. It was bad enough tuning on Forza where you're sitting there, you know, fiddling around with that puny physics engine to try to get the cars to do anything, especially on a controller. I moved into a set of Corsa Competizione and I tell you what, it's the best arrive and drive sim that's out there. You don't need to do a bunch of tuning. The biggest thing I had to do was tweak the overall steering range on every car. Once I found the cheat sheet on the internet that somebody had developed, I jump in, load my set and I go. And I purposely run and I put it in my live stream, no sets. All I do is change my overall steering radius and I go on. And I, I you know I'm placing plenty of races out there. And some of the other guys from GTM are running with me as well. And we've had a lot of fun and I highly recommend it to people. The part that it lacks, it is GT3 and GT4 racing, which is always seems to be the most fun anyway. And there is some touring car in there and whatnot, because it is modeled after SRO and things like that. What it lacks are the American tracks, right? It's highly focused on the European ones. I don't have a problem running races at Spa and at Silverstone and whatever, but it would be nice to run at the Glen or at VIR or some of the other tracks that GT America goes to. Yes, Laguna Seca is in there. There's like a handful of them, but it's not the full list of tracks. The other thing that annoys me about iRacing for anybody that's familiar, I know all the diehards are going to tell me, yeah, you know, you're talking about it's the best things to slice bread. I don't like the whole way it's monetized, right? Every time you turn around, it's another 15 bucks. It's another this, it's another that. Got to buy this track. Got to buy this version of the track because that's the one that the series is using. Oh, you got to buy this car. And everything's like 15 bucks, 20 bucks. Even when you got the Dogecoin from your buddy to buy it, it's expensive. It gets expensive really fast. ACC, on the other hand, it's like, okay, you're all in for a hundred bucks. And the expansion pack comes out sort of like it does on Xbox and it's 10 bucks. And you're like, oh, I got three new tracks and 10 cars and let's go because they're updating it to keep up with the series in Europe and all that kind of stuff. So from a cost perspective, total cost of ownership, and I don't have to have the latest $5,000 Fanatec setup to make it work. And then I know Fanatec sponsors them. I think it's good. And I, I highly recommend people try it out. It's a lot of fun. Sounds like iRacing is just nickel and diming you. Where does all that money go? Because it doesn't go into the graphics. Oh, hell no. playing Gran Turismo 2 graphics. Oh, it's like 360 graphics. They're terrible. There's no high definition about that thing. It looks like it was designed for Windows 95. Like you're playing SimCity 2000 or something. It's ridiculous. But the physics, the physics. Oh, uh... get out of here. I mean, ACC has all the same stuff. And you know what? I've got it all set up with buttons and this and that. And I, my pit stops, I got that strategy down. I'm not sitting here trying to like do mental gymnastics on how that's supposed to work. It's very straightforward. It, it's just like being in an SRO race. It's down to business. Get it done and go. And if anybody wants to learn more about us at course, so just watch Eric's Twitch stream. I haven't run in a while. I've been pretty busy. We've got a lot of projects going on over here. But when I do get some more free time, I will be back to streaming my ACC races on Twitch. So that's twitch.tv forward slash Grand Touring Motorsports. So just in case you haven't got enough motorsports in this episode and you are suffering from some post Le Mans blues, motorsport.tv is where all the action is. They have a bunch of really cool documentaries and mini-sodes and things for you to catch up on, like Mazda wins for Japan, the story of the 787B, Mr. Lamont, Tom Christensen makes it six for Audi, Graham Hill, the Triple Crown, Jackie, the Tortoise X, his refusal to do the Le Mans start back in the, the 70s. Ford upsetting Ferrari, not Ford versus Ferrari. Alonzo starts the dominance for Toyota and tons of other stuff. Motorsport TV has probably the largest catalog of different disciplines of racing from motorcycles 
through trucks and everything in between. So it's, it's a really cool platform to check out. Their subscription is right along with everybody else's, but it's a great way to tap into racing around the world, things that you've probably never seen before or forgotten or didn't know how you could catch up on it. Check it out if you get a chance. And Eric, talking about Jackie X real quick, we also wrote an article that's on our website and we'll go ahead and append that to the, the show notes for this episode that you can go ahead and check that out when we wrote about the Le Mans start. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And it, it was a critical turning point in endurance racing when he refused to do that. And, and the best part is he did it and he started behind everybody dead last and still ended up winning Le Mans at the end of it. So it's a pretty cool story. And it changed the whole dynamic of safety for endurance racing. So that's why we no longer run to the cars and jump in and do all that craziness. We've got some upcoming local news and events uh, brought to us by CollectorCarGuy.net, the ultimate reference for car enthusiasts. So let's see what's coming up for July. We've got PCA Potomac has begun its series of weekend brunches. The 101st Barbara Frischie Classic motorcycle race is coming up on July 4th. Audi Club Potomac Chesapeake hosting their summer shakes and breaks cruise. The Audi Club is also kicking off their summer Audis and ice cream and Brewster's ice cream locations both in Virginia and Maryland. With roughly 650 cars coming on offer July 21st to the 23rd, GAA Auctions will have a little something for everyone. Check out all the cars for sale in Greensboro, North Carolina at GAA. And tons more events like this. All of their details are available over at CollectorCarGuy.net. Now it's time for our hpdjunkie.com trackside report. So what's coming up in July? EMRA, the Eastern Motor Racing Association, is hosting their Midsummer Blast at New Jersey Motorsports Park, Lightning and Thunderbolt on July 9 and 10 weekend. Along with that, the RX-7 club known as Rotary Spirit is celebrating their Sevens Day at New Jersey Motorsports Park alongside of EMRA. And a lot of GTMers will be at this event as well. Hooked on Driving, as we announced before, has added a VIR full course weekend to July. So you got to check out hookedondriving.com for those details. Right now, we're at the height of HPD events for the year. If you can't find an event to go to right now, I I don't know what you're doing, but head on over to hpdjunkie.com and find yourself a track event for this coming weekend. In case you missed out, check out the other podcast episodes that aired this month. We chat with Maureen McPhail about her work at Mo Racing and her goals for getting more women drivers and female racers into motorsports and how you can become a part of that effort. As a follow-on to the Mo Racing episode, we re-released our Patreon Pit Stop mini-sode with Mary Hagee from Moonmark, who is friends with Maureen, for some unfiltered paddock talk. Dean Case from SRO Motorsports GT America talks to us about his past as an engineer working on the original Mazda Miata, as well as his efforts to launch Nismo in the U.S. and Mazda Motorsports. Brothers Nat and Chris Bongiovanni joined us for a Father's Day special where they recounted some valuable lessons learned from under the hood of a yellow 1973 AMC Gremlin. How that shaped their professional careers along with a dose of fatherly advice for all of us petrol heads. For every four out of five petrol heads surveyed, when asked, what car should I buy? The answer is always Miata. Our panel of guests, Dave Peters from hpdejunkie.com, Jim Tramontano from No Money Motorsports blog, and Bill Snow from Late to Grid podcast join us to help answer. Is Miata always the answer? Thank you to all the guests that came on the show this month. We have some really exciting episodes lined up for July and August, so be sure to tune in. Don't forget that our Patreon contains exclusive behind-the-scenes extras and pit stop minisodes. We've also recently updated our Patreon site to make it easier to find all this extra content. 
So if you haven't checked it out, hop over to www.patreon.com slash GT Motorsports today. So we do have new Patreons for June. Big shout outs to our newest Patreon supporters, Janet and Brian Worstel of Marietta, Ohio. Thank you both for supporting the show. For other shout outs, we have some anniversaries. Andrew Mason is celebrating eight years. Eugene K, seven years. Steve Furman, four years. Jordan Furman, three years. Neil and Dale Beauchamp and Hunter Wilson, one year with GTM. And remember, for everything that we talked about on this episode and more, be sure to check out the follow-on article and show notes available at gtmotorsports.org. We didn't have any special guest hosts on the show this month, but we look forward to more guest hosts in later episodes. And if you would like to be a part of the conversation, hit us up. And of course, our co-host and executive producer, Tanya, and all the members who support GTM. Without you, none of this would be possible. Can we put R8 logos on Tanya's Beetle now? Yes, yes. But only on the Death Star. Yes. All right. (laughs) I'll put the Audi emblem on the back. (laughs) Eric, I don't know if you, well, you went 95, but you didn't see it. So on the way home along 29, I saw a GTI Mark V Herbie. No. Yes. No. A GTI Mark V Herbie. What's the opposite of maximum Vitesse? Because that's it. (laughs) Brown Schwartz. <laughs> it's the best. <laughs> well, here we are in the drive through line. Me and her. Cars in front of us, cars in back of us, all just waiting to order. There's some idiot in a Volvo with his bright sun behind me. I lean out the window and scream, hey, what you trying to do blind me? My wife says maybe we should call... <laughs> If you like what you've heard and want to learn more about GTM, be sure to check us out on www.gtmotorsports.org. You can also find us on Instagram at Grand Touring Motorsports. Also, if you want to get involved or have suggestions for future shows, you can call or text us at 202-630-1770 or send us an email at crewchief at gtmotorsports.org. We'd love to hear from you. Hey, everybody. Crew Chief Eric here. We really hope you enjoyed this episode of Break Fix, and we wanted to remind you that GTM remains a no annual fees organization, and our goal is to continue to bring you quality episodes like this one at no charge. As a loyal listener, please consider subscribing to our Patreon for bonus and behind-the-scenes content, extra goodies, and GTM swag. For as little as $2.50 a month, you can keep our developers, writers, editors, casters, and other volunteers fed on their strict diet of Fig Newtons, gummy bears, and Monster. Consider signing up for Patreon today at www.patreon.com forward slash GT Motorsports. And remember, without fans, supporters, and members like you, none of this would be possible.